0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Hi there, and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast. I'm James, and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor, Emmett Savage, and our head analyst, Rory Carroll. In this week's episode... We're talking about the reasons why the Nasdaq is nearly back at all-time highs, why Warren Buffett sold all of his airline stock, and the dangers of investing in pharma companies like Gilead Sciences. So guys, before we get started today, I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on the recent news that Uber is trying to buy Grubhub. Rory, I saw you had a tweet up last night that said Uber was trying to diversify its losses by uh, acquiring Grubhub. Not a fan of this uh,
0: potential acquisition. Well, you've just got two companies who are losing billions of dollars uh, every quarter. Um, Uber went and raised, you know, billions of dollars from investors a few weeks ago. They fired twenty percent of their workforce. Now they're trying to take over, uh, what their biggest rival in the food delivery space, which is, as we've talked about, incredibly unprofitable. They're probably going. If that deal goes ahead, they'll probably fire half of Grubhub's workforce. And you know, it's it's probably they've just figured it out what they should have figured out years ago with the ride hailing, which is that it only works in a monopoly. You know, at one point Uber had Lyft essentially over the barrel and were about to become the the only or pretty much the the only ride hailing company in, in the U.S. Uh, at least Lyft was in huge amounts of trouble. They even offered to sell themselves to um, Uber at one point, I think. And uh, Uber messed it up uh, when they, you know, Uh, started getting involved in politics and there was the whole a lot of rumors about sexual harassment in the company and people started abandoning Uber and Lyft got a sudden boost in users so this is them you know coming the circles come around again they've realized Uber Eats will never be profitable when they have to compete with the likes of Grubhub and Postmates and DoorDash so yeah they're just trying to they're just trying to um just trying to to close off the competition I I mean I can't believe I can't imagine it would get past antitrust, having the two biggest food delivery companies in the US, Uh, although they could prove that neither company is going to work out without (laughs) them uh, combining, in which case they could get around it.
1: So I don't think we'll be uh, adding Uber to my Wall Street anytime soon. By the sounds of that, uh, let's move on to chat then about the kind of market at large. So it's actually almost three months to the day since major U.S. indexes began their descent in what th- in what then became the fastest bear market in history. Um, currently, however, the Nasdaq has since recovered nearly all of these losses and is sitting about just eight percent off its all-time highs. Um, Emmett considering the coronavirus definitely hasn't gone away yet and most businesses in the US haven't even reopened what's driving the market up like
2: this? Well I think what's specifically driving the Nasdaq 100 index is the constituent parts I mean when you look at the the companies in on the Nasdaq and and the biggest just allow me to just read the top 10 companies listed on the NASDAQ um, from largest down to, to 10th ranking, it's Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet, Intel, Nvidia, Netflix, and Pepsi. And if yeah. you just think about that mix alone, which uh, they are, they do a vast, vast amount of their business collectively through digital sales, um, that's less disrupted by the shuttering of restaurants, pubs, hotels, airlines, cruise liners, like those, the constituent parts of the NASDAQ. And so it continues like PayPal and Tesla are are in the NASDAQ. And and as as a result, and historically, the NASDAQ was the tech heavy exchange or the exchange favored by technology companies. As we've seen, it's those technology companies that have rebounded or in the process of rebounding Uh, faster than older world industries, which are more likely to sit on the New York Stock Exchange and are indeed represented by the Dow uh, and all the different variations of the Dow indices. So the NASDAQ has bounced back and, and it's really down to the companies within
1: yeah so like when you when you consider last few months so the number of us uh jobless claims since mid-march has been 33.3 million or about 20 percent of the us workforce i suppose a lot of people are confused when when there's such economic stress on the country to see the the stock market you know bouncing back so fast How, how kind of do you explain the discrepancy
2: between those two things the discrepancy is the biggest, I suppose, logical anomaly that I've seen in my investment yeah. life. It is very difficult to marry the economic realities that we're observing, or at least the, the the longer implication of what we're seeing with respect to the easing that the US government has committed to, and how, in fact, yeah. stocks are responding it's an uncomfortable time Uh, rory and i were talking yesterday in fact three of us were talking yesterday about selecting stocks in this environment i mean i feel it's analogous to being a flower picker in a hurricane like you're trying to select quality businesses that have predictable growth only to find that they're responding in an absolutely hyper exaggerated way to what's another quarter's report effectively and there's a stock that rory is very interested in we're both very interested in but you know, the minute it seems we look at something, it's gone up. It in a ridiculous. Yes. Uh, it's like we found a magic formula for making stocks grow. We look at them, and um, it's very diff- <laughs> It's a very uncomfortable time. It's a very uncomfortable time to be uh, a stock picker and an individual investor. It doesn't mean it's a bad time. It's just uncomfortable because there is such a uh, there's such a separation between economic realities, macroeconomics. And then microeconomics, which is the, the game we're in, which is looking at businesses yeah. for the long term. Yeah, Rory, you off. Oh, sorry, go
0: on. Sorry, yes. I think there's, um, there's definitely a, a feeling in, the, in, in investing circles that, you know, definitely in this year anyway, they're not going to let the market go down. You know, this, this, is yeah. a, this is an election year. Whatever needs to be done to make sure the market doesn't go down is going to be done. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm not a macroeconomist. I wouldn't want to be part of any macroeconomy club that would have me as a member, but it doesn't sound like a healthy way to run a country or run an economy. Um, so, yeah, you I mean, look, there's positives as well. You know, we are seeing countries in Europe open much faster than people predicted. Uh, you know, and you, Emmett, you mentioned the companies that are in the NASDAQ in particular. Like a lot of those companies had very little disturbance to their actual workflow. You know, they were all the top 10 were all pretty much set up to work from home as we, as us being a tech company were as well, you know, we, our, our biggest disturbance was we all went home and just kept working. Uh, yes. So the, those companies in the NASDAQ weren't, weren't as impacted as let's say some of the more old world industries, the retailers and the, the restaurant sector. And, you know, some companies are benefiting from this, you know, Amazon is going to benefit in times like this, even, you know, even with Bezos telling shareholders you know hold on to your hats people we're not we're going to be investing all our money for the next couple of months to to deal with this the stock's still going up because it's gonna it's gonna benefit from everyone staying at home and everyone i mean it's definitely amazon's definitely taking a lot more of my money over the last couple of months anyway um, hmm. and you look at companies like apple as well you know the speed at which china reopened was certainly a shock to a lot of people and there was a big worry about apple supply chain which which now doesn't Doesn't seem to be be too much of an issue. So there are there are positives coming out of this. You know, things aren't as bad as I think a lot of people first predicted they were going to be. But we still don't know the long term impact of this. And so yeah, it's it's slightly worrying to see the market rebound quite so quickly.
1: Yeah. One other thing, Roy, I just wanted to say was that you often um, call the the stock market uh, a forward looking machine. Is is it sometimes wrong to compare? You know, the, the the economic situation right now. With the stock market, is it a case that often when the stock market's going up, people are looking a few months uh, down the line already?
0: Yes, I mean the the, the stock market's always forward looking. They don't care about what's happened in the past. Really, the, the past can only inform or pre- your predictions for the future, and, and future is what's all about. You only invest for the money you're going to get, not the money that's been made already. Yeah. Um, I suppose there's probably an element of, you know, you mentioned the 33 million that have filed for unemployment in the last seven weeks. That is, you know, one in five working Americans is now unemployed. There's probably a feeling that if the country is going to reopen as quickly as, you know, certain politicians think it's going to reopen, that number is going to, you know, come down very rapidly. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's that's something that could be a positive uh, view for people investing. Now, I don't think it's going to happen that quickly. You know, you're not going to get back to full employment anytime soon. Um, and that is going to, that's going to dent the economy. And even those tech companies, you know, like Amazon can do well in a lockdown because people can't go and shop at, at Nordstrom or Macy's, but it's when you have an economy where people are making less money and people are less secure in their employment, Amazon's going to get hurt. That's just the way it's going to be, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's a forward-looking mechanism and it, it doesn't like uncertainty. And so that's what's, that's, I think is what's most surprising is that it's become very comfortable with how much uncertainty <laughs> there is right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, speaking of the market at large, let's move on to one of the industries I suppose that's been most hit by it. So Berkshire Hathaway held its famous AGM almost two weeks ago in Omaha, Nebraska. This year was a little different, however, with the event live streamed completely on Yahoo due to social distancing restrictions. The biggest news that came from this meeting was that Berkshire has sold its entire stake in the airline industry, um, a stake that was worth about $4 billion at the end of last year and spread across giants like Delta, United, American Airlines and Southwest Airlines. Um, in explaining kind of why he's divested himself of these, Buffett said that the world has changed for airlines and he doesn't know if Americans have now changed their habits or will change their habits because of the extended period Um, how much of a hammer blow is this Emmett for, for airline stocks if America's most famous investor doesn't see a future in them?
2: Well it is, it's big, I mean it will influence the thinking of other retail investors and even institutions I mean we all look to Warren uh, for at least thought leadership. So it's it's impossible not to... I mean, you have to take his word and you realise that there's a lot of thinking in that. I mean, he said specifically on that call and I listened to some of it, and I quote, we will not fund a company where we think that it is going to chew up money in the future. And effectively, he was referring to divesting all the airlines in that statement. And I think the the real problem is that airlines... At this moment, can't control the situation that they're in. They need to borrow a lot of money, and I think one of the main reasons that Buffett sold his shares was that of the airline bailout loan terms and and in their giant borrowings. The businesses are the airlines now uh, not only have record low passenger levels, but the federal government is getting warrants that they can eventually own the airlines' stock. Um, if they default. So that is a deterrent for, for Buffett. Yeah. Um, so we, as a collective community of retail and institutional investors, listen to Buffett and him dumping four airlines en masse. Really, you can't ignore that. You have to realize yeah. this is something really big. I mean, he, he there are other concerns he has, like there's too many planes, the fleet sizes, their ongoing maintenance cost. how in fact are they going to deal with an excess inventory of planes over the short to medium term is 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 one of those other factors in the equation um i mean i was looking at here reiner reiner is the global poster child of operational excellence you know it is um, um it has massively outperformed its peers. When you look at Reiner's stock uh, compared to companies such as Southwest and JetBlue, it's left them in the dirt. It's a business we here in Ireland are very familiar with because not only is it an Irish business, but it has a, I suppose, a personality CEO in Michael O'Leary and and is known to virtually everyone who's an adult in this country. And and I looked at Reiner's stock uh, specifically because it is it is the poster child of performance. And it's grown about tenfold in 20 years, and that's taking the year 2000 low to the very recent January 2020 high. So let's ignore the downturn. So, so airline, the, the best performer over 20 years, has grown tenfold in 20 years, which is a CAGR of about 12%, compounded annual growth rate of around 12%, which is good for sure. But that's the best in that yeah. I you know, I didn't look at every single airline, but I looked at about a dozen. And um when you take that that is the poster child of 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 operational effectiveness with a 12% CAGR over 20 mm. years. I think that Warren broke one of his own rules. Uh when he originally said he'd never invest in airlines. Um mm. he changed his mind. He bought heavily into four. And I think he probably is lamenting that decision and I suspect one of his advisors uh, one of his potential successors brought those to the table, and, and as most people know, uh, you have an inner voice. If you're good at something, we've all experienced this thing where we've taken advice that's contrary to something you really believe yourself, but only to find you were wrong, or you, you were right and they were wrong. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's happened in Berkshire Hathaway. To be honest, yeah, this is something we mentioned, Rory, when we were
1: preparing for this podcast. That Warren Buffett, he, he's quite good at uh, accepting, I suppose, his mistakes, his investing mistakes.
0: Well, this one definitely faster than most. Uh, he, um, you know, he was a big shareholder in IBM for a long time, which continuously just went down. He's still a big investor in Kraft Heinz, which is having a very bad time as well. Um, in terms of airlines, you know, yeah, he, he was famously against airlines for an awful long time. And I think he saw something, or at least someone pointed out to him, some of the kind of structural changes that the industry had made that was starting to make them become more of a profitable business you know, you, you know, the um, was a uh, yield management that was pioneered by Southwest Airlines and then brought over to the Europe by Ryanair, where, you know, you could basically fill up a plane on, at different price points. Uh, the fact that they were able to kind of squeeze extra dollars out for things like special seating or for bringing on baggage. So, And, and then airline leasing as well was this huge change to the industry that meant that they weren't holding on to these constantly depreciating assets uh, from day one to the point at which they were sold for scrap. Um, I did see someone, I can't remember where I read this, but someone actually, you know, uh, did make the point about Buffett's airline play that, uh, you know, everyone sees investing through their own realities. And Buffett, as a kind of 90-year-old man, would be in the very high-risk category for coronavirus. And I, I, we know he's, he's quite the hypochondriac as well, actually, if you ever see any, any interviews with him. He's, he's got a big, uh, a long-standing fear of, or I don't know if it's fear, but he thinks about his mortality quite a lot. And yeah. Perhaps, perhaps that has kind of uh, you know um, influenced this decision. You know, if he's if he's thinking of himself, would he ever get back on an airline? Probably not, <laughs> not for a long time. Yeah. So I, I can't remember. I can't um, attribute that because I can't remember where I read it. But I thought it was an interesting, interesting take on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has, um, his, own, he has his own private area, <laughs> Yeah, area, I don't plane, think so. he's... I, <laughs> he won't be getting on a delta airline anytime sure. soon.
1: I don't think he'll be worrying about getting the middle seat in a, in a row anytime soon. Uh, speaking of that, actually, it was really interesting as well that at the AGM, uh, Charlie Munger wasn't there. Obviously, he's he's 90, 96, I think he is at the moment. So uh, it, it was a bit of a risk for him to go out. But Warren mentioned that um, he started using Zoom recently, which I think is... It's quite a, a mental image charlie munger using zoom uh let's move on to some um <laughs> some better news then so rory one of the most recent additions to my wall street shortlist was a company that to be honest i was very skeptical of at the start but you've been a long-term fan and um, peloton so it looks like you might have picked the exact right time to add them to because the stock has been up almost 50 percent in less than a month um, a lot of this was attributed to a great earnings report the company had a few weeks ago how good is peloton looking for you at the minute
0: yeah, there's, there's times when uh, even when we're not market timers, but we probably should be. <laughs> we yeah. just get, sometimes you like, we're very good at this for people who don't do it. Uh, yeah, it was, look, it was a really good report. I've been a big fan of Peloton even before um, they IPO'd. I, I was really interested in the company because I think they really cracked that connected fitness um, industry that people have been trying to get into for years. They, they've, they've matched the hardware with the software and with the, with the experience. And uh, Peloton is one of those companies that it's, it's, inter- it's re- really interesting is that when you're analyzing as a stock because it's got one of those elements to it that people instantly dismiss, and those come along quite rarely where you've got a well-known company that uh, there's one part of the business that you mention to people, and they just go, oh, that's, stupid. that's a ridiculous idea. Why would that work? yeah and, and an awful lot of times, that's hiding what is quite a good business. And, and with Peloton, it was certainly the high price of their bikes. So it was over $2,000 for one of these exercise bikes. And, uh, you know, the the instant cry was, no one's going to pay $2,000 for an exercise bike. And uh, clearly that's not true. They sold $420 million worth of them just the last quarter, um, which was up 61% uh, year over year. Uh, you know, the numbers the, in the last report were great, really good. They they saw subscriber numbers go up but from... Uh, I think it was four hundred and fifty seven thousand to eight hundred and eighty six thousand uh the quarterly workouts went up from uh seven nearly eighteen thousand to forty four thousand uh, and the average monthly workout by subscribers gone up from about fourteen per month to about eighteen per month so you're seeing literally like every single engagement metric just skyrocket yeah um i I think the the long term story for Peloton is that it will become a subscription business. At the moment, they're still very much a hardware business. Uh, the sales of their bikes and treadmills still represent about 80% of revenue. But subscription revenue is growing at like 92% per year. And remember, that subscription revenue stacks. So every everyone who buys a bike this quarter becomes a subscriber and based on their current churn numbers will still be a subscriber next year. Uh, they're also They also have a 90-day free trial for subscribers. So we haven't seen... The big impact of the last couple, the last quarter of people actually going on to pay for subscriptions. Uh, so there's lots and lots to like about the business, and the bare argument at the moment is that well, of course they had a good quarter. Why wouldn't they? This was, you know, there's there's kind of there's times when you're uh, investing in in stocks where you, you're holding a position in a stock and you're kind of you give them a bit of leeway when they have a few bad quarters or things aren't going well for the business and you're looking for a turnaround. And at some point you've got to look and say, well like if they can't do it now at this perfect point for them this point when everything should be going right then they're definitely not going to work out over the long term this is that was the
1: exact argument we made with um uh, food delivery companies yeah
0: exactly it's that if if not now kind of when argument um with connected fitness yeah this is their quarter it's like if if they hadn't performed well this quarter you really would be asking if not now when so yeah yeah, you know i wouldn't well, first, again, you don't know how long this whole thing is going to go, but I wouldn't suspect you're going to see as good quarters going forward. This was really the quarter where it was like, right, people are locked in their homes, they need to do exercise. They, there's this company that's selling a bike that's going to sort all that stuff out for you. So you would suspect them to do well this quarter, and they have. But yeah, I don't I don't buy the the idea that this is just going to stop once coronavirus is over. I think people love this product. It's got a great brand. Um, it's going to have network effects and halo effects going forward. And yeah, I'm a big fan of it. It's a pricey stock, but I like the business.
2: I think you made would you buy would insane. you buy a Peloton? Sorry, sorry, James. I, then
0: I actually looked into it. They don't deliver in Ireland just yet. They're in the UK, but not Ireland. Um, I, I would. I actually would. Yeah. I think it's a really good. Really good product. And and everyone I know who ha- who has one, or people on Twitter who I follow, Ben Carson, who writes for um, a Wealth of Common Sense, bought one and said it's one of the best things he's ever bought Ben Thompson from Stratechery says loves it thinks it's a fantastic product so people who I respect and listen to have purchased them and absolutely love them
1: would you buy one Emmett you have a product similar do you
2: I did yeah I kind of came to a buyer's decision I, I decided to go with a competitor of a much much smaller business nowhere in the same league economically as as uh, Peloton is called Carol and um, its website is l, and they have an AI bike. It's priced at the same level as Peloton. Its subscription is kind of the same level, but it uses AI system to measure your resistance. And I guess its angle uh, is that it's, uh, what was the, something about Mary, like the five minute apps and the four minute apps, like with the Carol. a <laughs> minute apps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's only a, so this is the 40 second workout i mean seriously i i didn't i didn't believe it till i bought it so they basically push you to the extreme for 20 seconds then they give you a kind of a, a two minute 40 uh second uh downtime and then they push you to the extreme for another 20 seconds and if you can believe you'd need to lie down flat on the floor on a couch right after <laughs> 40 seconds exercise, um, that's Carol. But I've, I've had 65 rides on the bike now at this stage and definitely feeling my physical fitness and, and general physique uh, changing for the better
1: probably should point out this podcast is not sponsored by Carol. Um, So just, I'm going to
2: ring the CEO. You really
0: really should start coming out to some of these companies whose stocks were pushing up all the time. (laughs) Start advertising on us.
1: We'll just send an invoice. Um, so one more thing I wanted to chat about then, Rory, was uh, last, or earlier this week, sorry, you wrote a great daily insight about the importance of investing in companies and industries you properly understand. I suppose this has become quite relevant recently with all the talk of an antiviral drug, specifically um, in relation to Gilead Sciences. Um, what are exactly are the difficulties of trying to invest in a farmer company like Gilead?
0: You, just to, besides from just in investing in a pharma company, I think one of the, the big mistakes novice investors make is that you think that you, you try and um, make information arbitrage essentially. You think that knowledge will give you an up against other investors, even though it's like publicly known knowledge. You know, it's the whole thing about like, well, I'm going to invest in Apple because they're going to bring out a new iPhone uh, at the end of this year. That, that's not a uh, solid investment thesis because everyone knows they're bringing out an, uh, a new iPhone at the end of this year. That, that's already priced into the stock. The only yeah. way you'd have an, an advantage with information is that if you knew something that no one else knew. So if you knew, if you had a friend who worked at Apple who told you that there was some amazing new feature that no one knew about yet, but was going to see, you know, share the, the demand for iPhone skyrocket, then you would have a, a, an advantage over someone in information and if you unfortunately if you trade on that information you' probably go to jail so don't <laughs> do that um, so yeah so when you see like a headline used like company develops drug that fights coronavirus and think that that's gonna give you you're gonna have an advantage against other investors on that you're that's just not true that information has already been seen by people who are specialists and investing in pharmaceuticals they've digested this information and they've already made the moves before you've even thought about it. Uh, so so that's that's kind of like the overall well that was like the overall theme of the of the piece was that, you know, information does not give you a uh, advantage. Information should be used when investing. You should take lots of information and form opinions for the long term, but yeah. information is not going to be able to make you a, a quick book. And if you take the example of Gilead, yeah, Gilead, the news was that a, a drug that they had actually developed for Ebola or they were developing for the Ebola virus had positive effects on patients that had already got coronavirus in two separate tests uh, and that it was going to be kind of greenlit to to deal with patients who are very seriously ill. This isn't, you know, when you're talking about something like coronavirus, very careful to to distinguish between, like, this is not a vaccine, you know. You yeah, absolutely. This before getting coronavirus, it's not, gonna, it's, it's not a cure either. It doesn't cure coronavirus. It It helps people in the most serious conditions get better faster than without it yeah. and, and not necessarily all the time if they weren't going to get better anyway this might not even ensure they get better it would just it just could increase or decrease the amount of time it would take for them to to see better results so that that's i mean and that's like the the headline story but you know to invest in gilead based on that would be very very short-sighted because Gilead is, is a massive, massive company, with, you know, over $100 billion company. They sold $5.6 billion uh, of drugs last, last quarter. The vast majority of that was through sales of their HIV products and their hepatitis C products. So this, even if this does become a big drug in the fight against coronavirus, will represent a very, very small part of their revenue. And then there's, there's so many other things to consider, you know, like what if a vaccine does come out over the next six months, this drug essentially is, is useless. It's not going to have, yeah. any impact, you know, so there's, you know, pharmaceuticals is one thing that I think most investors, unless they worked in the industry or unless they have, you know, a PhD in, in biochemistry or pharmaceuticals should really stay out of, because there's so many factors that you just don't understand as a, as a lay person. You don't understand how the drug industry operates, how how drugs get from concept to development to market. You don't understand FDA regulations. You know most drugs takes I think ten years to go from their first development to actually being on the shelves or being able to be sold to people, and a very very small percentage of them actually make it through that process. And it costs I think I saw somewhere it costs three hundred and fifty million dollars from wow. day from day one to getting it on the shelf. And then, and even then you, have to start, then, you have to start thinking about, well, is there competitive drugs? What's the patent law? When's it going to run out? What's, some, some countries will allow the drug to be used. Some, some won't. Some will have it as prescriptions. Some will have it over the counter. There's so much information to deal with. And you're competing against these guys who have all this information, who have been doing it for 30 years and know everything about the industry. it's very, very hard for you to find an edge in an industry that you don't understand. And pharmaceuticals is definitely up there as one of those industries that very few people have a firm grip on.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So let's move on then. And don't forget, actually, you can read that Daily Insight Rory's referencing there. It's called Always Invest in What You Understand. That's in my Wall Street right now. Um, Speaking of Daily Insights, let's take a quick look at some of the other things happening in my wall street at the moment we have made stock of the month live since last monday this is a mega cap tech giant that might give your portfolio some much needed stability over the next few weeks we've also just published our stock of the month podcast too this is an exclusive podcast available only for my wall street members where rory and i dig deeper into the reasons why we like this month's stock of the month selection i've included a link for this new episode in the notes for today's podcast so make sure to go in and check it out now Uh, Jargon busters. So the first one, Emmett, I'm going to throw your way. Um, This came in from Leon in Dublin. Thanks for that, Leon. Um, He said, one of the key lessons in our Learn app is to understand and take advantage of the power of compound interest to maximize investor returns. In practical terms, how does one do just that for their portfolio? So I I think this is something we we kind of see a lot is is people maybe misunderstanding the impact of compound interest on their, their investment portfolios.
2: I suspect this Leon is a very old one of my oldest friends from Dublin, um, and if it is Leon, hi Leon. I, mean, I don't know. He's a very, very accomplished engineer, so the the mathematics of compounding is something he'd understand very well. But I think that um, the 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 misleading word when we talk about compound interest, as Rory pointed out to me only yesterday, is the word interest, and we're we're. I suppose, raised to understand that when we see the word interest, we know that our banks pay us a certain amount per year for the cash on deposits. So one, yeah. you know, you know, in childhood or in teens learns that interest is something you look at. It's a number, you can see it there. But in compounding interest or compounding magic, as it's often called, it's not it's not quite so it's not so visible because there is, there is it's not that at the end of each year we look at a number and that's the interest on in our portfolio. Really what we're looking at is the long term and the overused, I dread using the word, but there is no other way to say it, the, the exponential growth that a stock portfolio enjoys over the very long term. So the first few years of any stock portfolio are generally the least glamorous. You know, I'd even go so far as to say your first five years as a stock investor um, are generally a bit of a grind because unless you are pretty lucky or very unlucky, there's there's no huge change. It feels like you're just throwing money in and there's small variations. But it's after those years where when you get a calculator out and keep multiplying one by 1.1 or 1.2, the first time you do it, the first few times you do it, it, it's small growth. But eventually, multiplying a big number by 1.1 or 1.2 results in way bigger growth. And repeatedly, over the long term, what we're doing is we're taking out our calculator and we're multiplying our principal capital by 1.1, which is 10% growth. Um, year after year after year after year, and it's in those latter years where you're multiplying a big number by 1.1 to see the growth. So compounding magic is, uh, and so to Leon's question, taking advantage of the magical power of compound interest really comes down to buying a set of quality companies and leaving them alone and adding to your favorites or adding new stocks that you particularly like as the years go by. But the greatest investors that I know, the ones who have enjoyed the most, you know, mind-bending returns are the ones who did nothing, <laughs> or yeah. at least did nothing after they bought. Um, the, we are fed a constant stream of information about the stocks and businesses we know and like and have <laughs> taken a decision on. And that's... Um, that's difficult because we're we're intelligent creatures. You buy shares in Peloton, you get the latest quarterly results, you try to assimilate them. But the best thing you can do to unlock the magical power of compound interest is um, marry your stocks, leave them there, don't allow the latest news to sway you. Now, if there's strategic change, that's a different story. But in general, you can take advantage of compound interest by just building a quality portfolio and leaving it alone absolutely thanks for that um rory second question
1: i'm going to throw over to you so this came in and uh, this is actually coming in a few times and it's asking how much weight do we put on other analysts recommendations um when we're picking stocks from my wall street uh
0: i i think at the start when when you first hear about a company the best thing you can possibly do is avoid all other analyst recommendations uh well that's <laughs> as an analyst uh yeah. you know it's fair it's it's much better to literally get the name of the company and dig into it yourself. The first place I usually start is Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, like, honestly, if you don't know anything about a company, just go on Wikipedia, mm. just read what they do and start to think about it in terms of does this seem like an interesting business? Uh, then onto their corporate website, you should read about, like, try and find what kind of uh, customers they have, what kind of products they have. And then you start digging into the finances and looking into, like, you know, how much money do they make, what's their margins, da da da. And once you start developing your own opinions, then you start, you know, reading other people's ideas as well. Um it, being very careful to make sure that you're not uh, falling into that uh, confirmation bias where you're only reading what other people are, what what makes your opinion, your original opinion sound better. Um, yeah. And, you know, you build up, you definitely build up uh a, uh, I want to say kind of a cadre of analysts that you listen to more than others you know there's a couple over at the motley fool um, that i would you know take take what they think about things very seriously uh there's other investment banks which i wouldn't at all yeah <laughs> 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 um, but when you think about well this particularly when it comes to things like the wall street banks like the goldman sachs and the 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 raymond james of the world those those analysts typically are, are setting kind of price targets for a year. That doesn't really suit our investment style. They're, re, they're very much doing their, their discounted cash flow models based on what they think a company is going to make over the next earnings report, over the next 12 months. If we're invested for 10 years, it's not really suitable to our investing uh, way of doing things. It's interesting yeah. to see what they think, but like, you know, they're, they're much more short-term than we're thinking. Um so, yeah, I mean, the answer is at the start, you don't list any of them. And then as you start developing your own ideas, you try and kind of, you know, it's particularly to see if you're missing anything. Mm. Uh, but then again, there's, there's thousands and thousands of people analyzing stocks all the time. So uh, I do occasionally get questions from people saying, why doesn't this analyst at this company not like the stock you like? It's just like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> possibly read all the other analysts, you know? Yeah, uh, so yeah. yes, it's 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 a give and take with that.
2: But, it's, oh. you know, that 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 same principle applies to everything. You know, you go yeah. to a restaurant, you might think it's the most wonderful food ever and the person you're with might find it very average. But now and then you, same for a movie or TV show or anything at all, you know, you'll find a full gamut of... Um, Opinions on absolutely anything, and I think yeah. Rory and I are generally aligned, but we very often disagree on a particular stock. And we and we'd know one of us would be right. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> one, of us, one of us will definitely be right. <laughs> well, it's it's that whole thing. It's more art than science, isn't it? You know, it's you know there is no definite answer. I mean, yeah, mm. especially when you definitely. think of all the variables that go into you know making a stock a good investment you, you could have you could have been very like you could have been like buffer you could have been very bullish on airlines until a month ago yeah <laughs> things, yeah. things yeah. change
1: absolutely so let's move on then to our elevator pitch to finish up the show so i've gone with a, a different one this this week i've asked you to pick your favorite tv show that you've been watching in lockdown um rory i'll come to you first what what tv show are you pitching to to listeners of stock club
0: uh, it's the one I've become totally obsessed with and I'm sad because I'm coming to the end of it now, is the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix. It's called the last, last dance. dance. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's brilliant. I've really, really enjoyed watching that and I I know absolutely nothing about basketball. Um, even though I've written about basketball for investment advice <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I, once got, I once wrote a piece where the I, truth, I a user had to point out that I'd said lebron james was retired when he wasn't which i was, <laughs> you know play basketball but i've really really enjoyed uh enjoyed this it's uh, it's a really well made i love those kind of first of all i love sporting documentaries yeah sports documentaries are usually quite interesting and um the the mixture it's kind of it was filmed back at the time and now it's kind of been uh the, it's kind of found footage mixed with uh, stuff that's been recorded recently i love that style of documentary filmmaking Yep. Um, it's made by ESPN Films who I think made the OJ one uh, last year which was excellent as well Made in America that was a really good sports documentary um, and yeah. it's just great I, I mean I don't know what else to say about it even if you don't like basketball I've, I've recommended it to a couple of people who don't watch any sports whatsoever and they've all said they loved it as well
1: yeah no I, I'm similar um, similarly uh, in the dark about basketball but I've watched it it's absolutely fantastic it's on Netflix um, Emmett what TV show are you watching at the moment?
2: Yeah, well, the absolute answer for me, I guess, is Ozark Season 3, um, which is a very obvious one. I think it's Netflix great sticks show. it under your nose. It is a great show. It's beautifully made and well-scripted. But to my own surprise, I think my favourite in this lockdown period is going to turn out to be an Irish uh, focus show called Normal People,
0: which it's I'm amazing. halfway
2: through at the moment. It's a Hulu uh, it was commissioned by Hulu and the BBC and, and is based in, in Dublin and Sligo here in Ireland. And the storyline is very linear. Um, but the acting and the authenticity is just so captivating. Like it just, yeah. it's it's one of those TV shows where I just couldn't take my eyes off the screen which is a some accomplishment in this distracted world but i just found it to be like absolutely almost intoxicating i was watching the show the first two episodes i was like i don't think i'm going to enjoy this it's a very simple show but it's just that every single scene every single um interaction you can at at some level relate to it's just so real maybe maybe it's just an Irish thing but I think um, I saw on Twitter that the Kardashians were were saying it's great (laughs) stuff
0: (laughs) so better be be careful (laughs) this is a family show don't get too into it There.
2: oh yeah yeah true (laughs) very controversial (laughs) it's a bit controversial over here in Ireland but I think it's I think it's very tastefully done but it's very it's very real
1: it's brilliant, but it's definitely not one to watch your parents <laughs> <laughs>
0: or, your, or your children, or your children, yeah, or your
1: children, yeah. Watch it by yourself. <laughs> um, so that's about it from this week's Stock Club. Don't forget about all the great new stuff in the My Wall Street at the moment. Um, if there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode of Stock Club, please make sure to get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter. That's at My Wall HQ, or email us at pod at That's p o d at mywallstreet dot com. Don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review or a rating on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. That's it from us here today. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing.
0: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then...